0: Welcome back Brown Girls, Ashanti here, the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, the one stop shop podcast for women of color who want to hear and talk about the world of politics. As we continue with our collaboration with She the People, we're highlighting women from their 20 women of color to watch in 2020 list. These are all barrier breaking women who are changing the political landscape this year and beyond. Meet Amara Jones, the creator of Translash, a docu-series about the lives of trans people of color. Amara aims to connect those stories to what is happening in society today. Amara, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you?
1: I'm well. How are you?
0: Doing good during this time. I'm so just thrilled to talk to you about all the work that you're doing. I've admired you from afar. So, just really excited for this conversation and to have you on the podcast. So, my first question for you is what was the moment that really drove you into doing community work?
1: Well, first of all, thank you um, for your introduction and thank you for having me. What um, drove me? into community work. I think necessity. I think I feel um, compelled to do the work that I do. Um, I feel compelled to do the work that I do because um, I have a very clear sense of, I think, where we need to go and what needs to be done and that um, as a part of being alive, I have a responsibility to help.
0: I love that last part, just that sense of responsibility, and you're just such an inspiration to other women. Who are some of the folks that inspired you to do the work that you do today?
1: Well, my mother, like all, like many women, I have a complicated or had a complicated relationship with my mother, but my mother, undoubtedly, um, in so many different ways, I think the black women in my family writ large, black women throughout the world um, have inspired me. I think beyond that, you know, just so many inspirations of women who do have done amazing things, not only now, but in the past. I think Coretta Scott King is amazing, um, vastly underrated, so pivotal um, in so many different things. I think Queen Hatshepsut, who was the who was one of the most successful pharaohs in Egypt. She was a woman and she had herself declared a man in order to be pharaoh is amazing. I think Queen Elizabeth I of, of England, despite, you know, with also a very complicated history with Africa and Africans. But even in those roles, I think there are just so many ways and examples throughout history and throughout the world of of Black women who lead and who lead powerfully and who lead with integrity. And there's actually no shortage of inspiration or examples.
0: Oh, I just love everything that you're saying. There is just so many women, especially black women who are inspirational. You're one of those women. And I kind of want to shift now to dive into your background of storytelling. You are an amazing communicator. You have Emmy Awards. You have Peabody Awards. But what I really want to highlight is your work with TransLash. What drove you to create that and really elevate the platform form of telling the stories of the lgbtq community
1: i am it's so fascinating because honestly i'm one of those people who i'm actually more interested in other people than i am interested in myself which is weird to be a public person in this moment because it's very much associated with you valuing your voice in some ways above others and that, that's not actually the way that i work or move in the world so i had to be pushed to do it is the is, is the short answer um, I had to be convinced by people that I trust that um, telling my story was a way to tell other people's stories and that that then could be used to leverage and humanize and expand power for trans people, specifically trans people of color. So I had to be coaxed into it. To start with my own story, right, of that's how actually Trans Life started was me saying, what is it like to be me in this moment in history? Because this is a moment in history, right, even more so now, but we're living in a unique time. What is it like to actually be alive in this moment and to be trans in this moment and to be a trans woman of color, to be a trans black woman? Right now, um, in this extreme moment of social, of extreme social backlash, but also unique visibility, and what is that pressure like, and what are the things driving that? And from that, I was able to tell the stories of of other people in our community, and from that has grown, you know, a broad-based, cross-platform, multimedia storytelling project, and that aims on centering the humanity of trans people, specifically trans people of color. So. It's very interesting that I had to value myself first before I could really begin to connect and do my work.
0: That was really powerful. I want to dive in quickly. You know, you just talked about valuing yourself, valuing other people. You did something really monumental last year. The UN, they actually hosted their first event on gender diversity and non binary identities, and you helped lead that event. Can you tell us how did all of that come together and what was it like moderating a conversation like that? For the UN, you know, obviously very powerful organization, but also how do you think it's going to impact how the UN and other organizations do their work going forward with the LGBTQ community?
1: Yeah, um, it's really interesting, right? How did, One of the ways that that came about is that the head of UN Women is actually a Black woman. <laughs> She's a Black woman from South Africa, right? So again, it goes back to where we started, which is that the innumerable examples of leadership of Black women who um, changed the world. We could spend the whole broadcast doing that. So how did that come about? It came about, you know, it's really fascinating for me because this was one of the examples of how quiet internal pressure over a long period of time by people who you've never heard of and whose names you will never know, can actually be one of the ways that bring about change. Because we often think about change as being something that, is, um, that comes about through this mass direct pressure. right? We think about change that comes through noise and revolutions, but the way that this came about is that there was a small group of people, maybe four or five people inside of, of um, UN women who really fought for this over time. And they then connected to the broad-based global UN group on LGBTQ issues and then connected with another working group inside of the UN of member states that care about these issues chaired by the United Kingdom and Argentina. And they kind of formed a cluster that then worked very quietly, as I say, over many years to make this happen. And that's how it came about. And what happened, how I ended up chairing the meeting, leading the meeting, is that they none of the parties could agree on anyone to lead it. No one um, could come to terms on like who that person should be. And um, I know someone who works at the UN who put my name forward, and they looked into my background and were like, okay, she's the one. So that's how it came about.
0: And can you tell us, moderating in that conversation, is there anything that really just still sticks out to you until this day that came out of it?
1: It took place in the second largest room in the United Nations. So the largest room is the room that you always see, the General Assembly room, which holds probably four or 5,000 people. This took place in um, another room there, just down the hall from there, which holds about, about 1,000 people. I was told when I got in there that there were going to be 300 people in the room. There actually ended up being 700. So it was a massive meeting, and it was a massive global meeting, which I think was was really powerful um, about it. What came out of it? I think several things. I think one of the things that struck me and that struck so many other people was just the degree to which the United States actually is a hinderer right now in the expansion of rights um, around gender overall, gender identity Um, and non-binary expression, how we often think of the United States as a leader in human rights, but that very much within the United Nations now, the United States is seen very much as an impediment. It's actually blocking progress. That was a huge shocker. I think secondly, just the degree of energy within the developing world, particularly so many interesting things that are happening in Africa around gender, gender identity, gender expression, um, the rights of trans people, the rights of women, the connection between between the rights of women, lesbians and trans people that people are beginning to realize across Africa is really powerful. And the third thing I think that's come out of it is that the United Nations is beginning to <laughs> institutionalize a series of positions to be able to make sure that over the long term that many of the things that we spoke about in the meeting are sustained. So for instance, um, UN Women has actually hired in the last year um, a person who is reporting to the most senior person um, administratively in the organization to work on gen- gender and gender di- identity issues. And it's the first time they have ever had that position. So there's so many things that came out of it. Oh, that's amazing.
0: As the 2020 election approaches, candidates and their teams need to be spending every second engaging and communicating with their supporters. AdBlue's tools make it easy for campaigns to focus on talking to supporters by making the technology piece simple. AdBlue is a fundraising platform and nonprofit organization that builds fundraising software that makes it easy to give and for small dollar donors to make your voice heard. They help thousands of democratic campaigns, progressive organizations, and nonprofits build people-powered movements. Small-dollar donors are more powerful than any mega-donor. If you're a candidate or organization ready to build your grassroots fundraising program, go to actbluesetup.com. ActBlue support of the Brown Girls Guide does not imply support for any candidate or committee. taking a self-care day is always needed, especially during these times. Taking care of your hair should be fun, convenient, and relaxing. That's why I recommend Madison Reed. Remember Cynthia? She is the producer of the Brown Girls Guide podcast and finally got her Madison Reed package in the mail. She said that she loves the package and how professional she looks like she didn't even do her hair at home. The at-home hair color kits really provided her with salon quality results, literally delivered right to her door. I personally love that the company is founded on the belief that a confident woman is a beautiful woman. And the team at the Brown Girls Guide really does believe that women who are confident can change the world. Medicine Recolor is infused with Argan Oil, Keratin and Ginseng Root extract, so you get shiny, healthy looking hair. Brown Girls. You can get ammonia-free multidimensional hair color delivered to your door starting at $22 if you head to madison-reed.com. Use my promo code BGG and you'll get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit. My promo code again is BGG. Visit madison-reed.com now to find your perfect shade. That's madison readcom So you have also just been very outspoken, as well, about all of the black trans women who have been murdered. And we actually saw the conversation a lot on the campaign trail during the 2020 presidential election cycle. There were a lot of candidates who brought it up. And then you actually started to see more of the discussion happening, particularly on social media. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with what is happening, can you tell us more about what is unfortunately happening with black trans women being murdered frankly, black, brown, indigenous trans women being murdered, and what are things that we can do to help raise awareness on this issue?
1: 90% of all of the murders of trans women in the United States are trans women of color, and almost all of those, except for two last year, were black trans women. And black trans women in the United States are being murdered on a global scale. Um, what do I mean by that? I mean that the United States has the highest numbers of recorded murders of, of um, Black trans women or trans women overall than any other country on the planet except for Brazil and Mexico. And almost all those people who are killed are Black trans women. The situation is so dire that the American Medical Association last year proclaimed the murders of Black trans women to be, quote, an epidemic, close quote. That's their words, not not hyperbole. So it's hard to underestimate the level of violence that Black trans women are, are facing in this country and in the world. And one of the things that I make about that is that the reason why Black trans women are killed is because Black trans women are women. Black trans women are seen as, um, as being femme-identified people and so fall under the rubric of femicide which we know is a global epidemic. In the United States, black cis women, so women who were assigned female at birth, a black woman, if she is murdered in the United States, is murdered by a a person who is most likely to be an intimate partner. Black women overall have the highest incidence of domestic and intimate partner violence than any other group of people in the country And that tracks very closely to what happens to Black trans women. Most Black trans women are murdered by their partners or people who have had intimate relationships with them. So this then means that there's a high degree of of correlation between the violence that Black trans women face and Black women overall, Black cis women overall face. And that then means that there is common interest In jointly tackling the problem, because the problem that's killing us is patriarchy that gets distilled through the prism of race and power through our intimate partners. And that's a community-wide problem, and the only way that we're going to solve it is together.
0: I want to touch a little bit, too, on health care. We're obviously, unfortunately, in the middle of the COVID pandemic, but you have been very outspoken about how slashing Medicaid, how slashing the Affordable Care Act, is just really will really be devastating to the trans community. So, can you tell us a little bit more about that, and if there's anything that we should know that hasn't been reported in the media about how the COVID pandemic is impacting the trans community as it relates to healthcare?
1: So, overall, I mean, healthcare is essential for for trans people um, because. Every study shows that the degree to which trans people are able to get the healthcare that we need in order to be wholly ourselves, right? And I think that the thing that we need to realize is that trans is a diagnosable gender um, identity and medical sort of medical definition of being trans. There are also ones that are cultural that have nothing to do with medicine. What that means is that science has shown that there are treatment protocols that when they're implemented for trans people, extend our, extend our life expectancy, extend our quality of life, and extend our ability to be full human beings. And that can take the form of um, hormones or surgeries um, combined with various types of, of, um, of talk therapy that together enable us to be our full selves, enable us to close this gap between how our brains um, and our bodies were wired one way versus what our gender is. So um, I think that therefore what we know is that when people receive those things, that suicide goes down, that people are being able to have full lives. So the denial of healthcare for trans people in many ways is a death sentence for many, quite frankly. And this administration has actively pursued one, the rollback of rights across the board for trans people, but access to healthcare and is seeking right now to write trans people out of the civil rights laws of the country. There's a pending case before the Supreme Court um, that the Trump administration has advanced, which would mean that we would not have equal access to healthcare. And so that's one particular piece. And with respect to COVID, um, yes, I mean. So much of the trans healthcare that I spoke about has been put on hold because of COVID. And it's causing a tremendous amount of pain and pressure um, amongst trans people. I've seen lots of written, lots of things written about that recently. Um, moreover, um, trans people are highly marginalized in so many different ways. The COVID crisis has just accentuated all of the vulnerabilities. So you, food security, housing security, economic security, uh, and those ultimately get translated into people's health. So there's a lot that's going on um, in the area of trans health. And when it comes to government policy, it's really negative. One other thing I should say, there's so much happening is that right now, there are all of these bills in um, state houses across the country that have been introduced to deny... Um, trans adolescents the ability to be able to have access to health care. So there's a lot of pushback, and it's highly negative, and it's costing people their lives. We
0: have hit on so many topics, but I do want to ask, how can our listeners support the work that you're doing?
1: Um, well, they can uh, go to TransLash.org and subscribe to our newsletter, follow us um, on Facebook, um, also, in these times, we continue to report on a variety of issues. Um, uh, it, as a matter of fact, in, in May, we have a program coming up on the impact of COVID-19 on trans health care, since that was your last question. And so actually on our page as well, there's a donate button um, if you feel so inclined to um, to support us that way. But I think um, engaging our work, following us, sharing it, um, educating yourself on trans issues and the way in which they intersect with the issues of blackness, and particularly black women, I think are really essential.
0: We talked about a lot of women who have inspired you. And as a part of the She the People 2020 list, you got to pick a plus one. So tell us about your plus one, Crystal Hudson.
1: Um, Plus one, Crystal Hudson. Again, you know, I was really inspired by this idea of Change being quiet, right? Who are people who promote change that you never hear of? And Crystal's kind of one of those people. She is, is right now the, um, deputy public advocate in New York City. Um, and before that, she was the chief of staff to, um, Lori Cumbo, who, um, is the a majority leader on the city council. But what Crystal has done in a variety of ways is to help To mainstream and to make sure that LGBTQ causes in general receive the attention and resources that they need in the city. So, one of the things that she helped to do was to help to build the first affordable housing unit um, in the city for LGBTQ people that's gonna be in Brooklyn, for example, and is really concerned about violence against trans women and is working to turn the public advocate's office um, towards that issue issues around possibly training restaurant workers and other workers on issues of gender so that we lower um, the type of violence that occurs through those interactions. And she's a person that people will not widely have heard of, but um, has had a big impact on people's lives. And so I was really in that frame of mind when I decided to, to raise her up. And then just speaking of She the People, I mean, I think Amy Allison and every, so every single black and woman of color in She the People are all um, incredible examples.
0: Oh, awesome. Okay. And I want to close us out with our signature question. What advice do you have for the brown girls out there listening, saying, I want to be just like her?
1: Uh, Be brave even when you think you can't. It takes a lot of courage to really be yourself. That's the only way that we're going to make a difference. And there's so many ways in which, as women, you're taught to not be yourself. And that means that we're constantly working against ourselves and undermining our power and turning that over to someone else. We've tried it that way for a long time now, and it's not working out so great. And so we need to build a fundamentally different society in which women lead. And that leadership and the process of asserting that leadership takes bravery and courage. And so I would say be brave even when you think you can't.
0: Thank you, Amara. That was beautiful. This has been such an inspirational interview. We appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. If you have a moment, please take the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay up to date with us on the BGG website, www.thebgguide.com and on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The BGG Guide. The BGG Podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network. You can find them on Instagram at WMN.media and on Twitter at WMNmedia. Until next time, brown girls. Are you exhausted from trying to do everything perfectly? Do you hold yourself back because you're scared of failure? Then I want to tell you about a podcast you should be tuning into. You can break away from the cult of perfection by subscribing and listening to the award-winning Brave Not Perfect podcast. It's hosted by Rashma Shujani. She is the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code and the author of the international bestseller Brave Not Perfect. Her TED Talk about teaching girls bravery instead of perfection has over 5 million views. Join Reshma as she shares her secrets about bravery and success, because she wants to help you fear less, fail more, and live bolder. She'll even answer your questions and give you tips about how you can get a little braver every day. Plus, she has revealing conversations with other changemakers about their complex journeys and what we can take from them to improve our own lives. You can tune in and subscribe to Brave Not Perfect wherever you listen to podcasts.